everyone, and welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Sunday, the 24th of February, 2013. This show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Podcasting freedom. One show thingy at a time or something like that. I don't know. Before we jump into the show, let's get the contact info out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. Or you can go to the website, which is firearmscafe.com. On the right-hand side of the page is a Send Voicemail tab. When you click on it, you will be able to send up to a 10-minute message to me using your computer's microphone. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me for the show. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read out your comments on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, so please go there and click on those buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. These are all free. Finally, there are the forums at Gun Rights Radio Network, where I have the Firearms Cafe subforum. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. Another way that you can listen to the show is through Stitcher. In a nutshell, the way that Stitcher works is you download it, put it on your phone, the application, and then if the shows that you want have basically signed up with Stitcher, you're then able to stream that to your phone. However, if a, uh, there's a show out there that doesn't or has not signed up through Stitcher, then you can't get them. Uh, but it is an alternate way to get stuff. So anyway, that's the commercial for Stitcher. Hello, Tony. This is Mel from the Midwest calling. I've been listening to your podcast and other gun right radio podcasts for a while. Love them. Agree with most of the stuff you say. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I'm sort of highlighting one that was in, really would have come from the liberal side. It's uh, Freakonomics Radio, F-R-E-A-K-O-N-O-M-I-C-S, radio by a guy named Stephen Dubner, D-U-B-N-E-R. They're very liberal. But on February 13th, they put out a podcast, How to Think About Guns, and, man, they made an argument that all of this new proposed gun control regulation stuff is just, like, worthless. It's a big waste of money. They are they are academic economists, so that's where their mind comes from. They just say it's silly to try and ban this stuff. There's already a lot of them out there, and anything you do along the lines of the proposed um, regulations are just going to be stupid, useless, and et cetera. So really sort of a refreshing little thought um from the liberal press. Just thought I'd like to let you know about it. It's a 29-minute podcast. You might you might enjoy it because I really was thinking I was going to get an earful of something different. Keep on podcasting. Love to hear it. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Mel. Thanks for sending that in. Hope to hear from you again real soon. You know, it's not too surprising that when you said an economist-type podcast or show would kind of come to the similar conclusions at least on some levels, not having heard it, I I don't really know exactly what their argument was, but at least on some level that they would mesh up with us in the pro-rights camp. And for the most part, most economists try to, if, if they're being honest, 
try to detach emotion and, and they just want to look at the numbers. They want to say, well, does A affect B or does A not really affect B, but it does affect C? And we see that time and time again when you detach emotion and when you try and look beyond certain beliefs that you have or you try and ask questions, well, why do I have these certain beliefs? Why do I think this thing is a certain way? And if you look at the facts and if you'll, and if you'll, you'll use logic and reason and you'll keep emotion out of it and you'll try and set aside as much as possible any pre preconceived notions that you have, then a lot of times what you're going to find, again, using logic and reason, is that there's really maybe only one kind of valid conclusion that you can come to. So, uh, again, it doesn't surprise me that people that are in this pursuit, uh, the pursuit of trying to figure out why things are the way that they are, and the real reason that those things are that the way they are, would come to the same conclusions that we come to, that it's not an object's fault, it's not the fact that there is, that guns exist, that there's crime. Crime would exist without them. It doesn't do anything to punish the innocent to try and get to the guilty. Uh, so I think I may try and give that podcast a, uh, a listen. I uh, may or may not like it, but uh, like I said, I will go ahead and check it out. So again, thanks Mel for sending that in. And uh, like I said before, we hope to hear from you again real soon. Mel's was the only bit of feedback that we got for the show this week. And speaking of feedback, I think on last week's show, I had talked a little bit about that the service that I use to be able to record a voicemail or a voice message, I guess you should say, over on the websites is going to, I thought it was going to be going away. But what's, what's happened now is that the SpeakPipe people have sent out a thing saying that you can still keep a, a free service. It'll be limited. So you only have, you'll only be able to have X amount of messages stored and you're only going to be able to get X amount of, of time. So, uh, the time for the, each individual message before was 10 minutes. The time for it now is going to be a minute and a half. Um, if you wanted to, if you were com more comfortable using the speak pike, thing it'll still be on the website over at firearmscafe.com and everything will still kind of work the same way you'll just be limited on the time you can if you had a little bit longer message that you wanted to use you just need to kind of keep track of it you can go back and leave multiple messages uh, and then i can kind of uh, stitch them and paste them together for the show so it will basically sound like all kind of one message so I just wanted to let you guys know that I still think I'll be able to keep that and use it, although it doesn't get used that much. Uh, but as long as it's free, hey, we might as well go ahead and and, uh, and keep it. Let's go ahead and talk about an email that I got from Arizona Citizens Defense League. Now, as many of you guys know, I live in Arizona, and one of the gun rights organizations, and in fact, probably one of the best local gun rights organizations I think you can belong to if you live here in Arizona is the Arizona Citizens Defense League. And I've talked in past shows 
about how that even if you lived in a different state, you should consider being a member. Because what we've seen is a lot of times the laws that pass in Texas or Utah or Wyoming or Montana, Florida, things like that, tend to, once they pass and once they're shown to be effective, or once they show that nothing bad happens because they're passed, it's easier then for other states to say, well, look, 15 of these states all have these laws and nothing nothing bad happens. And if you did want to, again, put your money kind of where your mouth is, and if you wanted to, to help and to try and make a difference, joining organizations like these, I believe, does make a difference and does have an effect. And it's something that you can actually measure. So anyway, they had sent out an email talking about the uh, the current legislative session. And I'm going to head and uh, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase some of the stuff that they said. Basically in Arizona, February 22nd was the deadline uh, for any bills that had been assigned to committees to be heard. And that would either be in the in the uh, chambers of the House or the Senate. Now most of those bills, and there were approximately 1,300 of them, that got filed this session did not meet the deadline and for all practical excuse me practical intents and purposes they are effectively dead so the good news here for us in Arizona was that none of the bills that were proposed that were anti-rights and anti-gun none of those made it uh so they have they are all for uh, all practical purposes dead for at least this session. doesn't mean that they can't come back or maybe that they won't come back. Uh, But for now, we don't necessarily have to worry about those. Now, there were also several pro-gun bills that didn't make it. But some of the ones that did are are basically what their email was about. And I could go ahead and give you the the bill numbers and everything. That kind of makes for dry listening. So what we'll do is we'll just sort of paraphrase them and if as as we go down if I think that there's anything worth talking about I'll uh I'll go ahead and expound on it at that time. Uh, there was a bill that basically is going to standardize the definition of firearms. There are in certain statutes um things that are either duplicated or conflicting definitions from other things. So it's it's a thing that says if, if this is a gun, this is a gun type thing. This is what a firearm is. Uh, There is a bill, basically, uh, which is a good one, that says it would prohibit uh, maintaining information on anybody who possesses, purchases, uh, transfers, or sells a firearm except in the course of a law enforcement investigation. There's another bill that says that it's going to eliminate the statutory age cap on who can be a member of the state militia. And in Arizona, as well as in other states, but at least in Arizona, if you're a citizen of the state, you are considered to be in the militia if you are from the age, between the ages, I believe, of 18 to 45. And that you, you have to be able-bodied and capable of bearing arms, that type of thing. So what this particular bill seeks to do is to get rid of that age cap. And I've talked about this before, that what it what it really is is protection. It's a way that where if in the future, if something went terribly wrong, that 
the feds couldn't come in and say, because you're older than 45, because you're 46 years old or because you're 56 or because you're 76, you can no longer have firearms because technically you're not in the militia and the, only the people that are in the militia can own firearms. So it's, it's a way to, uh, again, add another layer of protection against any type of future shenanigans that the feds would come up with. There's also a bill that is talking about that if there's any type of a voluntary surrendering of weapons, so a gun buybacks, a person's uh, husband or wife dies and they no longer want the firearm, so they take them into the police. And in the past, I think they, it was that they had to be destroyed. This is saying that no, that they need to be sold. Obviously, this wouldn't apply to weapons that would uh, be deemed to be used in a crime. Uh, or um, that were part of an ongoing investigation. Uh, and the way that it would be sold, from my understanding, is that it would they would be they wouldn't be sold just to the public in general. What they would be sold to is to an FFL dealer, and then that person could then sell them to the general public. Uh, also, it kind of makes sense that it, it may, in effect, make having a gun buyback a program that the public sees as just a waste of money. Uh, currently, you know, when, when they do a gun buyback, there there has to be money that comes from somewhere. Uh, some of it, I'm sure, is, is volunteer. There's probably restaurants that volunteer gift cards or something like that. But for the most part, tax money has to be allocated to to give the, uh, especially if they're doing uh, $100 or, or $200 cash card type things, if they're giving those things out. So it goes, it, it makes the idea from a financial point of a gun buyback seem very, seems ridiculous and kind of stupid and kind of a waste of money when you could say, well, those guns are going to be turned in or the ones that, that were turned in free of charge. Basically now the state can sell those and make money on them. And then the state will again make money on them when the guns are sold by the FFL dealer because there will be a tax that will be paid on that sale. So uh, anyway, um, there's other ones that, that are basically saying uh, that, that if the feds make crazy laws and come in and try and prosecute people, that, they, uh, that the state can use its resources, uh, whether that's the sheriffs or local police uh, or uh, the uh, Department of Public Safety, which would be considered our state police or highway, highway patrol, that they can... Uh, use their resources to defend you as the citizen here in Arizona. And then there was a couple other things, but basically they were all having to deal with with giving the, the citizen of Arizona protection from prosecution from the federal government. So uh, all those are, are good bills and I, I think that are going to be are going to be necessary and hopefully those will pass. And as those come through, I'll, I'll again let you guys know. Now, speaking of of state laws and things that are getting passed, and we were talking a little bit about what the feds are going to do. And some people will say, well, you know, it's, it's kind of far-fetched that if the state is saying something is legal, that the federal government is going to come in and try and fight them on it. But all we have to do is look at a couple of issues. Uh, we can look at the issue of medical marijuana, and whether you think it's right or whether you think it's wrong or whether you don't care about it one way or the other, the point is is that the people in the states that have 
legalized. Uh, well, there's there's people that have there's a couple of states I think that have actually legalized marijuana, and there are several states that have medical marijuana. And what's been happening, especially in the case of medical marijuana, is that the federal government through the DEA is coming in and are arresting people, are jailing people, are trying them and sentencing them uh, to years in prison for violating a federal law, but they were doing things that their their state and the people of their state said, no, this is legal and this is right and this is something that, that we think is okay. And these people followed all those rules and regulations, and yet some of these people are sitting in jail right now. So again, it is not too far-fetched to think that something like the ATF, let's say if the federal government two or three years from now says something like, well, AK-47s and AR-15s are illegal. You just can't have them anymore. They have to be turned in. It's not even that they're gonna, you're going to make you register them. They're gone. You have to get rid of them. And then if the state of Arizona said, no, you don't have to do that. As long as you keep them in the state, we'll, we're going to, you're, you're okay to have them. You don't, the, the federal law is unconstitutional, so don't worry about it. Well, then the feds send in, again, their ATF guys, and they set up observation at a, a gun range, and they, they look for people that have AR-15s or AK-47s, and they watch, and they see you go and get in your car, and they take down your license plate, and then they, later that night, they kick in your door and uh, haul you off and are going to try you under federal firearms violations. And uh, some people will say, again, that's never going to happen, but it's, you know, it, it's already happened with the medical marijuana people. Also, I had said earlier that there was a couple of things. What we're also seeing now is that hemp is, uh, a lot of states are trying to say, yeah, it's okay to grow hemp. Uh, and you can, you know, hemp, you can use it for a lot of things. Hemp is uh, uh, the non-psychoactive version or, or, or cousin of marijuana. Um, there's no uh, there's no THC in it, so you can't get high if you smoked it, that type of thing. Uh, but hemp has a lot of uses. It can be used for clothing, for rope. It can be used uh, for all sorts of stuff. And we have the technology now to where it, it, it's viable to use it. So we're seeing places like Kentucky. We're seeing other, I can't remember, I think maybe it's Washington. I can't remember some other places that are doing, uh, they're trying to say, okay, it's okay to grow hemp. Uh, you can also use it, uh, you can use it as a protein powder, you can use it, you know, there's just tons and tons of uses for it. Uh, but of course the feds say no, you, you can't do it. Uh, and it originally, from, from my understanding, one of the reasons that they tried to make hemp illegal was is that there were corporate interests, uh, people that ran paper mills, people that uh, were going to make ropes out of nylon and synthetic materials didn't want hemp around anymore, so... Bingo, bango. A couple of uh, dollars are passed here and there, and uh, we got a law that says hemp's illegal. So anyway, all this kind of stuff I was talking about here was leading me to the discussion that I wanted to have about, it seems that on the federal level, that there's not going to be a whole lot that's going to come down, at least right now, as far as... uh, Weapons bans, uh, magazine restrictions, magazine bans, things like that. 
And it seems that on the federal level, that they've kind of lost, they've lost that battle. And in past shows, I've talked about that certain states are doing things to where they're they're not taking steps backwards. They're actually taking steps forwards. But we've also seen other states that from our point of view are taking steps backwards, that they are enacting legislation and enacting laws to restrict stuff. And I think that's where the fight's going to come in the future. I think what's going to happen is that they're, they're realizing that, you know what, on the federal level, we just can't do it right now. We probably won't be able to do it for many years. There, there's been lots of different Supreme Court rulings and things that basically it's it's sort of too airtight, uh, for, for lack of a better phrase or term. So I think what's going to happen is the anti-gun people and even the people up in the anti-gun people even up on the federal level are going to start doing things where they're going to say, you know what, let's start going after individual states and let's start to do try and get movements in the individual states. So in places like California, places like New York, New Jersey, places like Connecticut, places like Hawaii, where you have um, very strict and very draconian gun laws, places like Illinois, I don't want to leave that one out, I think what they're going to do is they're really going to hit those states hard. And they're really going to try and up the regulations and up the restrictions and up the infringements on on the average everyday gun owner in those states. And that what they'll do is they'll start to say, okay, well, if all we can get now is 10 or 11 states and we can get these huge bans and huge restrictions in those, we'll take those and we'll put them under our belt and we'll wait. And then later we'll try and go for another state. Later we'll try and go for another state. Later we'll try and get more people that are anti-gun into these positions, into these states, into these local legislatures. We're not going to worry so much about, we'll still try and get them, but we're not going to worry so much about the federal level because we know that at least for now, that's not where we really need to be sending our troops. And unfortunately, you know, look, you guys know that I have no love for either party, the Republican or Democrat, and I think that both of those august bodies don't really represent us anymore. They represent special interest groups and money, and that we the people are the last on the list, if we're even on the list at all, of who they should be concerned with, unless it's so much in their face that they have to take notice. And I've talked about in past shows how that it's so important on the local level to get people in there that are going to stand up for your rights and stand up, and especially in context with this show, going to stand up for our gun rights and make sure that our constitutionally guaranteed rights to bear arms and to be able to defend ourselves and our property isn't infringed upon. But making an observation... It seems that, for the most part, when push really comes to shove, nine times out of ten, the Republican guy in office knows his base and sort of knows who's buttering the bread, and they're not going to go against firearms and firearms rights. They're not going to go against us as gun owners. 
not saying they have a lot of love for us, but they just know what's good for them if they want to stay in office. And by and large, the majority of Democrats, when push comes to shove, even if they say, well, we're pro-gun or I'm a blue dog Democrat, when the, when the pressure really starts to come down, they're not going to stand up for us. They're going to affiliate with the party and they're not going to give, they're not going to give representation to the people and what the people want. You know, we saw that in New York. We, we, we've seen that in places that maybe like Colorado, which, which used to be considered one of the very gun friendly states, but there's, it's the, the local big governments there, the local population that have the biggest populations are basically run by Democrats from what I can see. And those guys, uh, when push comes to shove, are going to be anti-gun. And if I had my way, of course, I, I'm libertarian leaning. I would have all libertarians in there because, number one, libertarians aren't ever going to touch. They don't want to touch your guns. And, you know, when I say this, let me be clear that this is the platform we're talking about, not the reality of, of the world. I think if you went in there and replaced everybody with libertarians, you took all the Republicans and all the Democrats out and replaced them all with libertarians, which I don't think would be a good idea in, in the first place. I think you need to have different forms of uh, different points of view, whether I agree with them or disagree with them. And uh, that leads to discussion and it leads to hammering things out and it leads to trying to look at things and do what's best. But anyway, even if you were somehow able to major wage, uh, wave a magic wand and everybody who was in there now is a libertarian, it would take long before corruption would rear its ugly head and uh, we would start to have moderate libertarians and conservative libertarians and liberal libertarians. And it wouldn't take long before those would kind of splinter off and we'd be kind of right back in the same thing. I guess maybe the only way you could uh, make it to where you, you wouldn't get corruption is that those guys don't get paid. They only get paid maybe $1,000 a year and they're limited to two years of service. Uh, consecutive years, I guess. You know, So you could serve two years and you could leave and you, two years later you could come back and serve again, but you know, I'm not running the show. That's probably a, that's probably a damn good thing that I'm not running the show. Uh, nobody wants me running anything. So anyway, just kind of be aware of. of uh, I think that's where the next big battles are going to come. They're going to come down at the state level. And another thing I've noticed is that the culture is changing. The the, the Second Amendment culture is changing quite a bit. And we used to talk about, you know, you'd go to a conference, you'd go to a, an event, and you'd see lots of white-haired dudes. And you'd be like, wow, I don't, I don't see, you know, anybody under the age of 60 here. And that needs to change if, you know, or, or our leadership and our, our base is just going to die out. And so we've seen a change in that. We've seen a lot more younger people coming in of all ages and all backgrounds. But the most interesting thing, and this is something I said a long time ago when I kind of first started podcasting, 
I said if we really want to change, if we really culturally want to have the concept and the idea of self-defense and of using firearms to defend yourself and to defend your family, if we want that to really take root in our culture, who is going to have to be convinced is women. If you can get your mom or your grandmother or your sister or whoever, if you can get those people, your wife, whoever, who was maybe not necessarily even anti-gun, but who didn't really think much about it, if you can get them on board, that's when I think we're going to see a real change in the culture. And that's when I think we're going to see... That's uh, that's when I think we will have... What am I trying to say here? That's where the next large steps forward, the big strides are going to come from in our culture, I think, is going to be with women. You're going to have women who have grown up with firearms. You're going to have women who, when they have children, their background is going to be that, well, my mother and father were both firearms enthusiasts. Or, yeah, my mom wasn't so much, but my dad was, or, or vice versa. My, my dad wasn't so much, but my mom loved shooting. She was a competitor, and she got me into it, and it's something that we've done. And when it becomes normal for women to think along the lines of, when they think about self-defense, to think beyond just pepper spray and to think, well, of course I should have a gun and of course I should know how to use it and of course my daughter and my my children should know how to operate firearms properly and they should be comfortable around them. And I'm not afraid of them. They're just part of everyday life for me. They're a tool that I'll use. Because I know that those three guys, if they break into my house... And they look at me, they're not going to maybe respect me. But they'll respect the gun. They understand what the gun does. And they understand what that gun means. Now, I don't know if I've got any female listeners. I think I've probably got two, maybe three. But uh, I never really hear from them. I'd love to get some feedback from you guys and kind of get your perspective. Uh, I've noticed even in my own life with, with, uh, friends of ours and with my, with my, with my wife that her attitude towards firearms is changing. And a big part of that change has come from the change in, in sort of understanding that you're responsible for your own defense. You're responsible for the defense of your children. You're responsible for the defense of your home. You're responsible for the defense of your husband. Just as much as your husband is responsible for all those things that I just mentioned. And then going beyond the gender, when anybody, when that switch clicks, when that light comes on, to know that you're responsible for your own safety and you're responsible for your own children. That's a huge realization. And it can be very empowering. It can be a little frightening. It can be a little overwhelming, but it can also be very empowering. And a lot of times my wife and I say that, you know, our daughter, when she's when she's out with us, she basically has armed guards. When when I'm when I'm with my daughter, she's got an armed guard right there with her. 
And it makes sense to say, well, wouldn't it be better, instead of having one armed guard to defend your kid, or your children in general, if you have more than one, wouldn't it be better if they had two armed guards? So again, once, once that switch is clicked, and once you make that leap into saying, I'm responsible for my own self-defense and for the defense of my family, it's not very hard to go through that door and look in that room and say, okay, here's my, here's my choices, all the choices I have for defense. I can get an alarm. I can get a cell phone. I can get pepper spray. Hey, there's a firearm over there I can use. So anyway, I'd love to hear from any of the ladies out there that uh, are listening. If you carry, if you don't, uh, if you're thinking about it, if you're getting into it, if you had kind of a an aha moment uh, and you've, you've decided to, even if you're not carrying now, if you've decided, hey, I've made up my mind that I'm going to learn and take classes and, and learn how to shoot and overcome maybe some uh, fears or some uh, preconceptions that I had, uh, I'd love to hear from you. All right, guys. Well, I think I have rambled on enough, and uh, I will talk to you guys next time. Take care, everyone. Here we go. One step at a time. Don't be living on the line. I don't need a friend. I got more than on the mind. Sunshine in my brain, making everyone complain. Radio in the heart. Don't be being so strange. Think I'm losing it. Baby, where have you been? Everybody says that you're moving again. I don't want to be right, baby, every single night. I can tell you within about taking your time. It's making me nervous, yeah. One step at a time, don't be living on the line. I don't need a friend, I got more than I Yourselves. We have a new king! Oh, yeah.